Today we gather on a morning when our nation has experienced two mass shootings in less than 24 hours. It is a sad, sad, tragic day for our nation. I titled my sermon, What is Saving Your Life? I think it's good to ask this morning, what is killing us? And yes, guns, of course. Assault-style weapons that just need to be banned. And there is the hate that is killing us. The spewing of hate that fuels white supremacy that is all based on fear. What am I losing? What will I not have enough of? The fear of the other who will take away power, change the status quo, disrupt. Fear. Fear. And I think that gets us into what Jesus was talking about for today. In the parable, Jesus issues a warning, be careful about all kinds of greed. Now in the Greek, the word for greed is the insatiable desire for more. But I think the twin to that is the fear of not having enough. Not having enough power, not having enough money to feed oneself, not having enough control over our lives, not having enough distance from those who threaten or seem to threaten what we have. In our nation, many people are afraid of immigrants in the belief that they are taking away resources and jobs and health care, and that scares us. The fear of not having enough is killing us. It's a little bit difficult to understand what the rich man in Jesus' parable that did that was so wrong. If we attended a retirement seminar, and a lot of you have been there, he did exactly the right thing. He was successful, he saved for the future, he planned ahead so that he could enjoy his later years. I want to say up straight that this parable is not about not saving for the future. The retirement advisor was right, stick to it. And yes, you should enjoy the good things in life. But this man's actions have taken him to a place where he is a fool. Fool. 
You could have done so much more with your life. You were blessed. You could have reached out and made a difference in people's lives. You could have had a life rich in compassion and generosity and love and kindness. So I want you to listen again to the man's reasoning and listen for the pronouns because there's only one. What should I do with my abundance? I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones so I can store my goods and I can say to my soul, me, myself, and I will live a long and happy life. There's no one in his life but him. No one else in his world. He doesn't think about anybody else. He doesn't think about anybody else's needs when he has that abundance. I want you to turn and look at the cover of the bulletin. There's painting here. And on the left side, there is the man in his house all by himself. And there is death that has come too soon. And if you look in the middle, there is a little person knocking on his door. And he can't hear it. And if we go to the right, there is a much smaller house. Do you see how much smaller it is? And yet it is full of people holding hands and praying around the table and giving thanks to God. And there are toys in the driveway this is life. There are two kinds of abundance. An abundance that focuses on oneself and keeping what oneself has and building up and security. But there is a different kind of security in holding hands around a table and giving thanks to God. Jesus is warning us here, our need for more stuff and security and power and control can have us thinking only about ourselves and cut us off from others. And that's not really living. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is trying to save our lives. Salvation, we know, is not just about going to heaven when we die. Salvation is letting people into our lives who are different. Salvation is opening our hearts to know our neighbors. Salvation is welcoming the immigrant. 
Salvation is even sitting down with the racist, the white supremacist. Only love can defeat the power of hate. Only love can defeat the power of greed. Only love can save us. Salvation is the first responders. Salvation is confronting the greed that keeps gun lobbies in control of Congress. That's greed. Salvation is the classroom that we give out of our surplus, our wealth, so that kids in Kenya can go to school and have a better life. Salvation is the deacon who stops by with a prayer shawl and saves us from being all alone. Salvation is the awe that fills our souls when we touch another soul with kindness. Salvation is waking up, waking up to the poor and needy and the vulnerable and realizing not only the blessings that we have, but the life that surges in our veins when we hand that person a sandwich or a voucher for a house. Salvation was what happens to us when we let go of the fear and we stretch and grow our spirits and become richer and richer towards God and the things that God stands for and God's love, like compassion and goodness and healing and reaching out to the other, forgiving more, risking more love. Now I want to tell you about two conversations that I had when I was home or in the Midwest. The first incident, the first gathering was with my brother who runs a hunting lodge. A couple of summers ago we went out there and my brother brought out about 20 guns. And he laid them on the table, and he taught us about gun safety. And then we spent three hours picking up one gun after another and shooting targets. He told us how the guns worked. He explained what was an automatic and a semi-automatic. didn't have any assault style weapons. I got to shoot a Glock. I got to shoot a couple of sighted rifles. I was able to hit a gong 200 yards away. And you know what? It was fun. And there was power. 
and we had a really good time. I learned what that power feels like. I learned how fun it can be. I also learned I couldn't control those weapons. I couldn't control a Glock. So I think I have a richer perspective on the addiction to guns and power. And the mass shootings where the bullets just keep coming and it It does not at all lessen my advocacy for the prevention of gun violence. But I have a deeper respect for those who have a different opinion. And we will have more conversations and we will seek more understanding. And the love that is there will keep us together and fight a divide. And that's good. The second conversation I want to tell you about was with my sister. My sister is we are polar opposites on our views in politics and religion. She's been taking seminary classes. She knows I went to the most liberal progressive seminary in the United States. And I said, gee, how, where are you taking these seminary classes? And she said, I'm not telling you. I said, it's Dallas Seminary, isn't it? And she laughed, and she was so mad. She said, I knew you'd know, because Dallas is the most conservative theological seminary in the nation, or at least one of them. So we laughed about that. And we're not going to change each other. Not in one conversation. So I mentioned that in casual conversation that our church had welcomed refugees, Syrian refugee, and that we were adopting a father and son who'd been separated at the border. And you know how much this just must have been like chalkboard, you know, like nails on a chalkboard to her. I didn't resist. But I didn't push. And later, my sister said, you know, I just can't stand the way 
the immigrant Somalians have taken over St. Cloud. And they won't assimilate. And I thought about St. Cloud, Minnesota. <laughs> Full of Somalian refugees. And how she might feel like there were places that she couldn't go anymore. And I let it sit. And I came back a day or two later and I said, you know, Holly, I've been thinking about what you've said and how hard that must be. But I remember when I worked in New Jersey, there was this German-speaking church. Because when Germany, you know, when immigrants came over from Germany, they couldn't speak. English, and they needed to have their own space. And it took years, decades. And they were Northern European. <laughs> and we let it sit. I don't know if any of this will seep into my sister. I don't know if she will be one of the ones who reaches out to some of the Somalian refugees. She's a good, kind, loving person. And we were able to be together in all of that difference and just be kind to each other and have little bits of conversation where we were honest about the pain, the fear. And I think that's love. From my experience in South Africa, I know that no one is free until all are free. I know that love is the only thing that heals hate. And that's Jesus. That's the Jesus who is with us. That's the Jesus who stands by us when we have those conversations. That is the Jesus who was shot and killed in El Paso and in Dayton and who will rise again in us? Who say no to hatred, no to violence, no to division, no with not having the conversations, no to amassing so many things that we cannot see our sister or brother in need, no. That is what God said when Jesus was on the cross, no. God said, yes, you will live. Yes, you will live and you will love and you will forgive and you will reach out and in you there will be no Greek nor Jew, no male nor female, no slave nor free. 
because all are one in Jesus Christ. Be rich in things towards God. What a hopeful message that is for today. When you come to the table, seek the strength that you need. And know that this is a table of grace. It is a table of strength. It is a table of life. It is a feast of love. Come. Amen.